Father, we are so grateful for uh, the event we call Easter. Some people call Resurrection Sunday. Whatever we call it, Lord, we know what it's all about. It's about uh, your resurrection, uh, having gone to the cross for us and uh, gone to the grave, gone to Hades. You rose from that grave on the third day, Lord. And it's just not some historical event that we look at when we look at Easter Lord, it is an everlasting event, an event that has made a great impact on our lives and will make an impact on our lives forever. It's made an impact on this world, uh, even on this pagan world, Lord. Nobody realizes just how bad this world would be without Easter, Lord. You are our hope. You're our only hope. And we have so much hope in Easter, Lord. We have so much hope in you, and we're so excited for this day. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you. We're grateful to you. Uh, everything we have in life, Lord, stems from, from your willingness to, to save us, create us, save us, give us life. And we're just so grateful, Lord, today on this Easter Sunday. And we just thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Most of you probably remember the movie back in 90, 1998 called Deep Impact. It was a movie about a group of people who were preparing for a catastrophic, catastrophic strike of a meteor that was seven miles wide and was on a collision course with the Earth. And, and that uh, uh, sounds kind of like a preposterous story, but it, when you read the book of Revelation, it actually there, it does seem to indicate that there is going to be this giant meteor that's going to come to the Earth and strike the Earth and make a deep impact upon this earth. It's going to be this meteor that's cast down from heaven. But as great as that event will be, uh, it doesn't compare to the impact that Easter Sunday made that day when Jesus rose from the dead. Now, it's interesting uh, that uh, there are all sorts of opinions as to the etymology of the word Easter. I mean, where do we get this word Easter? And I know there are a lot of people out there now that are teaching that the word Easter came from the worship of a pagan god named Easter. And you probably have heard that. And so a lot of people, man, they won't say the name Easter. Be careful with that. Let me tell you what the devil does. You know, I hear, the, I hear this about a lot of holidays that we have. And, and, and what the devil tends to tell you is that, that we've taken uh, pagan holidays and turned them into Christian holidays. That's not what's happened. What's happened, the pagans have taken our Christian holidays and turned them into pagan holidays. And so be careful when people on the extreme uh, fringes tell you that you can't say the word Easter or that you can't celebrate Christmas or that you can't you realize that some of those same people will tell you that you can't say the word Jesus? That the word Jesus is a form of a, it's a pagan word and there was a pagan God named, close to the name Jesus, so you shouldn't say the name Jesus. If you don't say the name Yeshua, you're blaspheming God. So, you, you, you know, you can take this to a lot of extremes. Now, if you want to say Resurrection Sunday, that's fine, because that certainly applies to the, to the day, but... But again, it's interesting when you look at the etymology of the word Easter because, because there is a word called Easter, but it's also the Celtic word for dawn. And that's where a lot of people believe we get that. Now, isn't that an appropriate name for Easter? Dawn, 
the dawn of a new life, a new world. I mean, I mean, it, it couldn't be a better name than that. But I personally don't think that's where we get the name Easter. I believe we get the name Easter from the Greek word aster, from which we get our uh, word asteroid. The Greek word aster means star. And who is Jesus? He's the morning star. I mean, he's the dawn of a new life. And so, so man, I love to say the word Easter. And I love it to say to, to people who don't like the word especially. I like to say to them Easter just to get them going. But I love Easter. And I think, that's, I think it's, it's such an appropriate word because he's like this great star, this great asteroid, this great meteor, greater than any meteor that will ever strike this earth. And he's come down and he's hit this earth with this great eternal force and he's changed the course of history. He's changed the course of my life. He's changed the course of your life. Isn't that great news? Man, I love Easter. Now, so as we come to back to Thessalonians today, the first Thessalonians, and we look at the end of chapter 1, Paul's going to remind us, you know, you, you really don't have to go anywhere in the Bible looking hard for an Easter story. It's everywhere in the Bible. So we usually, normally, we just go right on with our verse-by-verse -verse story. And right here in the last part of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is going to tell us today how Easter has impacted every single one of us. What happened that day when Jesus rose from the grave, it has impacted every single one of us. Whether you reject Jesus or whether you receive Jesus, it is going to impact you. Easter is going to impact you. And it's in impacted all of us. Well, the first way that it's impacted us, let's go back to our text and look at verse number 4. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be home, holy and blameless before him in love. We were before the foundation of the world. We were chosen to be holy and blameless in him in love forever. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. What's election? Election, we're, what are we elected to? We're elected to salvation. We're elected to eternal life. We're elected to, to become the children of God. We're elected to be adopted by God as his children. And we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. But listen to me. There would be no election without Easter. None of us would be elected to be ch children of God without Easter. Because if Christ had died, not died on that cross, none of us would be fit for heaven. It's his death on the cross and his resurrected life in us that gives us the life and gives us the perfection that we need to stand and live before a holy God. And so without Easter, there is no election. And, and that's why we know we're told in, in uh, 1 Peter and 2 Peter that the cross and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the plan laid before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and the only way that God could choose us before the foundation of the world was to have a plan to save us. 
Because he knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall. He knew that we were going to follow in Adam and Eve's footsteps. And so if he was sitting there at the, before the foundation of the world, he says, I'm going to elect a certain amount of people. I'm going to elect this group of people. He could not have done that without a plan to save us. Because none of us can make ourselves worthy to live in the presence of God. None of us can do that. And we're talking here about election. Does, does election eliminate our responsibility and our choice? No. In that same passage in Ephesians where Paul says you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, he also says this in verse number 13 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. He says, having believed, you received the Holy Spirit of God. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. If you, did, if you don't believe, you won't receive the Spirit of God and you won't be elected. And so who are the elect? The, the elect are those whom God knew before the foundation of the world that they would believe, that they would receive Jesus Christ in their heart and, and that their souls would be made fit for heaven through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. God knew that before the foundation of the world. Those are the elect, the elect. Now, how do I become one of the elect? I want to be one of the elect. All of us want to be one of the elect. Well, you become, you, 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 you become the elect by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, the aster, the, the, the morning star. That's who you put your faith in. You put your faith in his death for our sins and his life that, was, that we receive from that resurrected life that uh, from, from Easter Sunday, we put our faith in that. We don't put our faith in ourselves. And let me tell you what happens. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you truly believe in him, you know what happens? You know that before the foundation of the world, you were chosen to be one of the elect. You know, I know I was chosen before the foundation of the world. I didn't know that until August the 23rd, 1989, but I know it now. And I know he's going to sanctify me, and I know he's going to save me, and I know that, that I am secure in him. And if I wasn't secure in him, you know what I would know? I'm, what, I'm not one of the elect because I couldn't keep myself saved. God keeps me saved, and only God can keep me saved. But wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, Pastor, doesn't that mean that if God has a certain elect people that, uh, that God is limited those who will be saved? No, not at all. I mean, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, God wishes that none should perish, that all should come to eternal life. So anybody can get saved. Whosoever will come can come, Jesus said. Uh, John said, to as many as received him. To as many. I mean, it, it, the door is open for everybody to receive him. To as many as received him. He, to them, he gave the power to become children of God. God doesn't limit who the elect are. We limit who the elect are by our choice. But listen to me very carefully here. If you haven't chosen God today, you haven't chosen Jesus Christ. God's not going to force you to choose him. God is not a tyrant. He's not creating a group of robots to do just just he zaps them and then all of a sudden they're in love with God. That's not the way he does it. He gives you a choice to love God or to hate God, to be his child or to be his enemy. That's your choice. You make that choice. And because God is omniscient, 
and sees everything in the future, he knows who the elect are. He knows who will choose him, and those are the ones who are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Well, Pastor, you know, I, 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 I get what you're saying, but there's a lot of people that just don't get this gospel thing. I mean, it doesn't make sense to them. Well, let me tell you something. The problem isn't with the Easter story. That's not the problem. The problem with the people who don't get this is willful unbelief. That's the problem. Look at the next verse. Look at what Paul says in number five. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. You know, Paul was a clever guy. You read his writings. He was a really sharp dude. I mean, he, 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 was, he was like a lawyer. He could convince you of certain things very easily. He could convict you. He could encourage you. He could exhort you. He was a man of words. I mean, you know, I get this picture of this him being a little Jew who wasn't that charismatic. But man, he had a way with words. But Paul says, hey, don't, it wasn't my words that saved you. It wasn't just my mouth that saved you. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. I mean, the gospel's more powerful than any asteroid. It's faster than a speeding bullet. It's more powerful than a speeding train. Some of you remember what I'm talking about. I mean, the gospel has power. Power. That word is dunamis. It's like dynamite, greater than any dynamite. I mean, it has this great power. And in the Holy Spirit, it comes in the Spirit of God. And in, watch this, in much assurance. You know what? If you have truly received Jesus Christ and you're born again, you know one of the things you have? You have much assurance. You know that you know that you know that you're saved. You know that you've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And nothing can shake that assurance. You've got that assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you. Hey, we were just men just like you. But the message that we gave you is the word of God. The same word that created this universe. It's the word of God. And, and, and men and women are saved by the word of God through the Holy Spirit. I mean, anything that I say in this pulpit is nothing but hot wind if it's not anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that makes this word powerful. You ever read the Bible and you think, man. I mean, I remember reading the Bible for years before I was, not a lot of times, but reading, for years before I was saved, I would read this Bible. It just didn't do anything for me. My mama made me memorize half the verses in this Bible. I'm grateful for that today. But back then, it was like, even, even though I had them in my mind memorized, it didn't do me a bit of good. Because the power of the Holy Spirit was there. Now, I, I take that back. It did me a lot of good. Because when I got in trouble, I knew where to turn. I knew to turn to the Word of God. But, but, but the Word comes in power. It comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Easter story is not some fairy tale. It's not some philosophy. It's not some religious treatise. The Easter story is the word of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. Paul says this in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, 
for the Jew first and for the, also the Greek. For anybody can get saved if they're willing to listen to the word of God. It's like this meteor that hits the soul. I mean, it strikes the soul. And let me tell you what, it will either destroy your soul or it will save your soul. That's up to you. But the meter is going to hit at some point or the other. And you're either going to choose to receive Christ or you're going to reject Christ. And let me warn you, if you continue to reject Christ, you're going to be destroyed by that meter, meteor, and forever. You're going to go to hell forever. So he goes on and, well, he goes on in verse number five and he talks about the impact of, of this great story. He says in, in verse number five, where am I at? Six. I, I, I had some more to say about verse number five. Let me get to that first. He says, if, if you believe this, you will have much assurance. You know, I know there are people, again, the Easter story doesn't make sense to them. It's not that important to them. Let me tell you why. I can answer that question for you. If you're here and you really don't believe the Easter story, you really haven't let the Easter story impact your life, let me tell you why. Because you're not willing to be obedient to God. Jesus put it like this. Jesus, Jesus said this to the Jews. He said, if you are willing to obey God, you will know that my doctrine is true. You will know that my word is true. If you are here today and you're not saved, what you need to do is, I mean, you've got to make a choice. I'm going to live for God. I'm going I'm to enter into a relationship with God or I'm not. And, and you can sit and say, well, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't necessarily believe this. Let me tell you what will happen if you say, I want to enter into a relationship with God. If you say that day, God, I want to enter into a relationship with you, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out that this, every word of this Bible is true. And you're going to know the Easter story is true because Christ is going to come alive in you. And he's going to live in you. And you're going to know that he's alive in you. And you're going to know that you've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And there, there's nothing like the power of the gospel if you'll just give it a chance. Give it a chance. Look at verse number six. He says, that's, now we're in six. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word, watch this, in much affliction. You catch that? But, here's the good part, with joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the greatest ways Easter can impact the soul is to give us joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. We have joy that we've looked, we, we, can, we look for joy in all of these other places, but you know where you truly find joy? You find joy in the Holy Spirit, in the truth of God, in the Holy Spirit, in the truth given in the Holy Spirit. I mean, you let God in. You let the Holy Spirit in. You receive Christ. You let him pay for your sins. And you're going to find that joy you're looking for. God wants to fill your heart with joy. And if you're here today and you just don't have any joy, look, life's tough. Life's real tough. 
you don't have any joy, I mean, give God a chance. God's not going to force himself on you. You've got to give him a chance. You've got to say, Lord, I'm going to test this thing. Test God and see. Give your life to Christ and see if you can't find that joy that you've been searching for. Does that mean once you're saved, life on earth is going to be easy? Oh, no, the fun's just started. The difficulties have just started. Paul says here, a Christian receives Christ in what? Much affliction. Much affliction. You know, I look around this room today. I see one person who had surgery a couple of weeks ago. One person who had surgery this past week. We've got somebody at home who had surgery this past week. We've got a family here who lost their grandbaby this week. Why are they here? Because they have a hope, a real hope. And it comes from Easter. And, and even though there's much affliction, there's much joy. Because we have a hope. We have a hope beyond this life. We have a hope for our loved ones beyond this life. That's why Easter is so wonderful. That's why Christ is so wonderful. I mean, he's a God who loves us if we just give him a chance. We have hope. And not only do we, are we afflicted by this fallen world and this cursed world, I mean, this world hates Christ. I'm telling you, this world hates Christ. And if you're in Christ, this world's going to hate you. And I mean, I, that can happen at a church. That can happen in your so-called Christian family. If you're truly born again, you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated. You know, I was going to go see that movie, Case for Christ, but about Lee Strobel. I, I read Lee Strobel's book, and I had a little bit of problem with his book, and I'm not going to get into that today, but I kind of thought I'd see the movie, so I got on my iPhone and, and looked at the Flickster app and wanted to read some of the reviews about the movie before I went to see it. I still haven't seen it yet, but, but I wanted to read some of the reviews, and you, you wouldn't believe the venom that was spouted out on, by those reviewers, not so much against the movie, Criticizing the movie, but criticizing Christianity and Jesus Christ. It was unbelievable. Let me read you some of this. Here's one. First of all, Jesus never died on the cross. Secondly, he was a man, and at most a prophet, he was not God. Here's another one. So, so sad to see Faye Dunaway and Robert Forster in this Christian propaganda film. According to the World Health Organization, 12 to 15 million children die every year before reaching the age of 15. War and famine and disease are the result of this God that Christians worship. Thank you, Christ. Either you are not there or you're a cruel God. You want another one? Lee is biased and dishonest and never examines what he should have examined, the true case against Christ. Christ is a phony. Here's another one. More, more Christian garbage. I, I inserted a different word there. Trying to pass itself off as truth, proof, entertainment, and doing none of the three. Give it up. Your imaginary friend is silly. Man, I could go on and on and on, and, and, and I, uh, 
and I, I, there were a lot of those reviews I wouldn't even think about reading you, but it's just amazing how people use that forum to attack Christ and to attack Christians. And the vast majority of those reviewers who would, probably would never see the movie were just there to attack us and to attack him. Why? Why? This world hates him. This world is an enmity with God. Now, on the other hand, there are a lot of Americans out there today who are celebrating Easter. A few of them are going to church. They're going to parades. In Louisiana, you've got to have a crawfish bowl, you know, so, so some of them are doing that. Roy was telling me crawfish went from like $30 a sack to $80 a sack this weekend. He bought it anyway because he loves crawfish. But, but uh, there'll be Easter egg hunts, all sorts of stuff going on today. But let me, let, me, let me give you a suggestion. Go to the Easter egg hunt. Don't Really don't go to Easter egg hunt. But if you go, bring up Christ. Say, tell everybody how much you love Jesus and watch what happens. You might get some venom spit out at you, but at the very least, I'll tell you what you'll get. You'll get the cold shoulder. Because even at Christian events and so-called Christian things, people don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear that name, Jesus. It's a curse word in our society. But, here's the good news. If you will stand for Christ, and if you'll trust Christ, then you know what's going to happen? People are going to see the joy that's in you. They're going to see Christ in you. They're going to see how deeply Christ has impacted your life. And that's how you get people saved. That's how you get people. Look at verses 7 and 8. Listen to what Paul says. He says, so that you become examples to all in Macedonia and, Macedonia and Achaia who believe. But he doesn't, he doesn't end there. Listen to what he says. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Every place. The word about the Thessalonians was getting out. These guys were really saved. They really had the joy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ and Easter had deeply impacted their life, and the word was getting out. You know what the word's getting out in Lafayette today? It's gone out everywhere, even to Lafayette, Louisiana. We're talking about these Thessalonians today and the great impact that Easter had on their life. But listen to what Paul says. He says, he says your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to, watch this, say anything. We don't need to say anything. How were these believers making an impact in Macedonia and Acadia and all these other places? By sounding forth the word of God but not so much with their vocal cords as with their lives. They had become examples to others of how the Easter story had impacted them. People should see Christ in us. Their faith said it all. It proved to those who saw them that Christ is alive. I mean, when people see you, do they know that Christ is alive in you? I mean, is he real in you? Is there joy in the Holy Spirit? And I tell you what, sometimes God will put you through some really difficult things so that people can see that. He'll put you through things you just can't imagine you could even go through because he wants people to see that in you. And as, as Christians, we're, we're denying ourselves and we're taking up our cross 
So the Easter story can go out into the world. That's why the gospel comes with much affliction. So that God, people can see Christ in us. See, the problem with the church today isn't that we don't have enough buildings. We don't have enough preachers. We don't have enough Bibles. That's not the problem. The problem with the churches today is that we don't have enough believers who are living examples of Easter. People can't see Christ in us. And when they see Christ in us, they're going to listen to what we have to say. But they're not going to listen to what we have to say if, if we're not leading the kind of example that, that we should be. And that example comes by the joy of the Holy Spirit, by being filled with the Spirit. It doesn't come by some keeping a set of rules. That doesn't impress people. It won't impress them at all. You know what will impress people? Your love for them in the Spirit. Your joy in much affliction. That's what's going to impress them. That's what's going to let them know that your faith is real. Verse number 9, I think, is the next one, right? For they, those being impacted by your lot of witnesses, who's Paul's talking about, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. In other words, we had a great impact on you, and so now you're having a great impact on other people. And how you turn from, to God from idols to serve the true and living God. One of the deep impacts that Easter will have on your life, I know it had it on mine. And if you're a born-again believer, I bet it had it on yours. If it's really impacted your life, you're not going to allow things to become idols in your life. You're not going to put other things above God. You're not going to do that. The love of Christ compels us to put away those idols. He hung on a cross for us. He shed his blood for us. He rose from the grave and gave us his life. How can we worship anything but him? How can we allow anything to be put ahead of him? So if, if you really have been impacted by the Easter story, you want to put away your idols like the Thessalonians did. You don't have idols in your life. We love him because he first loved us. And we want to love and serve him above all things. And I got to tell you, we... But the devil throws all of these idols at us, all of these things that he wants to consume us and take us away from Christ. And then there's no joy. And then there's no witness. But these Thessalonians, they were loving God and they were serving God. And they had put away their idols. Because they really believe the Easter story. And not only that, they had a great hope. I mean, here's the Son of God. Easter day. He strikes the earth with grace and peace on earth goodwill towards men. 
He shakes the cores of hell. He defeats Satan at the cross. But I got news for you. We ain't seen anything yet. We ain't seen anything yet. Look at verse number 10. And so, we wait for his son from heaven. Oh, man, that's one of the things that if you've been deeply impacted by the Easter story, you're waiting for the son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead on Easter day. Even Jesus, the one who will deliver us, watch this, he will deliver us from the wrath to come. He will deliver us from the wrath. Why do I believe in the rapture? Because he will deliver me from the wrath to come. What's the wrath to come he's talking about? He's talking about the great tribulation. That's what he's talking about. And I got to tell you something. You better look at, your, look at the news. You better, the great, you can see the great tribulation right on the horizon. I mean, you got these North Koreans marching and showing their missiles and flexing their muscles and Trump's flexing his muscles and the Russians and Syrians and Iranians are threatening to go to war with us. This could happen at any day. I'm not saying it's going to. But we're living in very, very dangerous times. And, and you would be a fool not to see that the apocalypse is near. It's very near. And it's going to be a time when there's these great wars and disease and famines like this world has never seen. It's going to be a time when a meteor will be cast down from heaven and earth and two-thirds in the Great Tribulation, two-thirds of the world's population will be destroyed. But i got a hope. One of the greatest impacts of Easter for a believer is this, that the same Jesus who raised himself from the dead will deliver his own from the wrath to come. For there is, why? Because he went to the cross, and because he went to the cross, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All your sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for. There's no more wrath on you. There's some discipline. God will discipline us all. So I'm not saying, again, the Christianity comes with, Easter comes with much affliction. But there's no wrath. God is not mad at you. God is not angry at you. God is not going to punish you. Now, discipline and punishment are kind of a fine line. You know, it's semantics. But God is not going to get revenge for things that you've done. He's not going to destroy you because you're evil, because you're not evil. You've been perfected forever in Christ, even though you still are evil. You've been perfected forever in Christ. The moment I believe the Easter story, the moment I really put my faith in Christ, I became a child of God. I was adopted into the family of God. So I see all these things happening on the news. Doesn't worry me one bit. Because I'm not going to be here when the great tribulation begins. Let me tell you where I'm going to be. There's a thing called the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's where I'm going to be. It's going to be last seven years. You talk about a party. You talk about celebrating Easter? When you see those scars on his hand, when you see God Almighty who died for you, you're going to be celebrating. And when you're up here and everybody's down here, 
going through the great tribulation, you're going to be celebrating Easter. You're going to love Easter. And then at the end of the seven years, like a meteoric star, an aster, all of a sudden he will return and with these little stars, you and I, with his armies, with his saints, and we, and we will be as by his side, and his coming will have such a deep impact on this earth that the Mount of Olives will split in two. It will split in two. And this world will be shaken as he sets up his government. And his government will be a kingdom of truth. It will be a kingdom of righteousness. It will be a kingdom of peace. It will be a kingdom of joy. Man, I've got a hope. I've got a hope. So I don't look back to Easter. I mean, I and, and just say, that's it. Now, I look back to Easter and I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Good Friday. Thank you for Easter Sunday. Thank you for being raised from the grave. And I don't look forward to the great tribulation. I'm not going to be here. But instead, I excitingly wait for the next meteoric event on the prophetic calendar. And that's the rapture of the church. It's coming. But without Easter, there's no rapture. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for the hope that we have in you, for the life that we have in you. You have great hope. You should have great joy. You should have great witness with much affliction. Live with the affliction for now because that's going to end here real, real soon. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. You sent your only begotten son into this world to die for our sins so that we could have everlasting life. Lord, that life isn't just a one-time event, Lord. It's something you've given us forever. Lord, our hope isn't just a one-time, one-Sunday thing, Lord. It's a hope you've given us forever. Our joy, joy just isn't something we have this morning, Lord. It's a joy we have forever, Lord. And, and, and that's what gets us through these afflictions. That's what gets us through these hard times. We just are so grateful for you, to you, Lord, because we do have that great hope. Our hope is real. We know it's real because you live in us. Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not know you, truly is their Savior, I ask today be the day of their salvation, Lord. That I know you're touching their heart right now. You're speaking to them, Lord, and I just ask that you convict them. Lord, if they keep telling you no, remind them that, that, that judgment is on the horizon, Lord. But we just ask that anyone here today who's not saved, to be touched in a special way. Receive Christ in their hearts and souls. Again, Lord, we thank you for Easter Sunday, your resurrection and your life. Through the blood of Christ, I pray. Amen.